Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, hey, Rod, we're going to talk about the 7-10 matchup here with Michigan State. Back to our pre-game analysis with Davidson. I guess we'll begin with we actually, it's a strange matchup in the sense that we actually have a previous captain is, is now coming, going up against yeah. us in the first round, which is, you know, a story I think probably neither of us think was intentional for the NCAA committee. I don't think they probably paid that much attention, but it's definitely one that everyone immediately locked onto when it, the project initial projections were even out there. I think the weekend before Joe Lenardi. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you're right about it. I think Michigan state fans, took that to be uh, intentional on the part of the committee. I, I'm not, I do think the Michigan state Duke thing probably was intentional related to where those teams were looking like they were going to sit on the seating line. Uh, they wanted the highest profile second round matchup possible, but MSU and Davidson, I, I don't think it was driven um, by, uh, by that, but, it is an interesting dynamic, as you said, not just a former player, but a former captain. I would wonder if that's ever happened in an NCAA tournament game before. Not a lot of opportunities for it to happen because until the last couple of years, we didn't have a transfer rule that functioned this way, right? So, right. It's, yeah. yeah, Foster Lawyer obviously being that former captain who's had a great year at Davidson. I, I would hope that all Spartan fans are happy about that. Uh, and, and here's a little hint that Tom Izzo has gotten to this week. Uh, he's mentioned it uh, kind of in passing. You probably, if you're, uh, and I don't think many of our listeners are in this category, but there's a certain subset of Michigan state social media's uh, Michigan state social media fan base that really, really, really went over the top with foster lawyer when he was a Spartan. Uh, unfairly yeah in my mind and certainly in tom Izzo's mind i think there's a really really good chance that foster lawyer is part of the michigan state program again next year as a grad assistant and when you keep in mind that his father is a longtime nba scout nba interim head coach briefly coaching genes running his family he's clearly a very smart kid um, you should want former Michigan State players to be flooding the coaching ranks as often as possible because that broadens the potential scope of who might be available to run the Michigan State program at some point down the line. Um, maybe not such a good idea to run your mouth on Twitter about 
how you feel negatively toward Foster Lawyer, because he may once again be part of this program. It would it would actually surprise me if he's not at some point. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say, you know, Michigan State has a very a much a family attitude and that's sort of their the environment that Tom Izzo is always For trying sure. to create. Uh, and 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 Foster Lawyer is absolutely part of that family, even though he may finish his career. Well, he will finish his career somewhere else at Davidson. But I think he, there's no question he'll at least be part of invited back to games, invited back to the parties and stuff. And so I think, as you said, there's definitely talk he's interested in coaching. And so it naturally he'd come back to Michigan State because I think they had a good relationship. Yeah. Well, let's um, go into some of the, the the details here. Michigan State is 40th and Davidson is 41st in Ken Palm's overall ranking. The Wildcats of Davidson are 27 and 6, 15 and 3 in the A10. They won the A10 regular season, and then, as we talked about in the last show, they lost to Richmond in the title game. Uh, they've only played one game against a Power Five and Big East opponent. They won it. They played. Uh, they won 79-78 over Alabama back in, I guess, it was neutral court, but it was in Alabama. So I guess that's the most a, a, a major team will give you a, as far as a neutral court against a team like Davidson. They beat some other tournament teams. They were three and three against NCAA tournament teams. They again split against Richmond. Uh, they beat Alabama and Delaware, but they lost to San Francisco and New Mexico State. And they've been coached by Bob McKillop, who's in his thirty third season at the helm. He's been around a long time. I mean, longer than Tom Izzo at that school. His record six hundred thirty four and three seventy nine. He's been to ten NCAA tournaments, and the most memorable, of course, is two thousand eight when they made the Elite Eight behind uh, some guy named Steph Curry. I think he's pretty good, and. Um, He's led the program. What I think is the most remarkable thing is Davidson's a very small school. It's a school that I don't even believe has a graduate program. It's just undergraduate. It's a very small liberal arts college. And it's gone from independent to the Big South to the Southern Conference, and then it's now the A-10. It's, it's been quite a, quite a climb by a guy, with one coach, essentially, who's managed to build a program. You, you rarely get a guy who's going to do that sort of thing where he sticks around, and when he gets success, instead of moving to the next level with a different coaching job, he sticks and with a school and and manages to push them up into a better league and a more uh, competitive conference. That's pretty impressive. And, and it's probably, you'd like to think it's sort of a, more of a framework for other schools to try as opposed to just always getting, you know, for, but you got to have the right combination, probably the right athletic director, right president, the right type of school, the right coach, obviously wants, who likes where he is. Uh, and there are other teams that have done this. My dad is quickly mentioned. He was, he went to Drake, which is uh, in the Missouri Valley. And he's quick to point out that when he was a student in the 60s, that Louisville was in the Missouri Valley and, of course, Wichita State. And so and you have obviously Creighton and the, and now Loyola Chicago will be moving. And so teams move out of conference a lot. We kind of forget that because the Big Ten's pretty stable, aside from just getting having teams enter the Big Ten. But uh, what he's done is pretty impressive. At Hugely. And, and I think I think that uh, he, his first season at Davidson was 1989-90. So my senior year of college was his first year at the helm at Davidson. That's that's a long time ago. Uh, and to take a pro, you know, there are a few guys who have done this. Um, close to home, Greg Campy is a really good corollary for for McKillop. Yeah. Now he hasn't had quite the level of success McKillop has had, but Greg Campy took them from being a D two program to being a D one independent to the Summit League to now in the horizon and has had a few NCAA tournament runs, has had a few guys in the NBA. Um, that's pretty remarkable. And Campy goes back, maybe not quite. I'd have to look to see if his tenure goes back quite that far. It might, it might even exceed McKillop, but it's close. He 
close as Corey. Yeah, Larry. Close, yeah. You've got other programs that have done this, but usually with multiple head coaches. Butler is an example. Butler went from the horizon to the Big East. You saw um, Loyola go from the horizon to the Missouri Valley, and then next year they'll start playing in the Atlantic 10, of which Davidson is a member. So they've made that jump lately under Porter Moser and now Drew Valentine. Uh, so we've had a few programs that have made these kind of moves, but uh, that's it is an interesting thing that Davidson's done that under one guy. You mentioned he's had 10 trips to the NCAA tournament. If you want a feel-good stat, eight of eight of the previous nine times, so this is the 10th, so he's been nine previous times, eight of those times he's lost in the first round. The only time he didn't lose was when he had Steph Curry and he went to the Elite Eight. I don't see Steph Curry on this roster, but we'll see. It's, <laughs> you know, right. past performance is not necessarily predictive, right? Yeah, absolutely right. That's definitely true, uh, and and it just a Campy actually has been in the thirty three okay. seasons as well. I just looked it up, so he's exactly the same. It it that's a very good corollary. But, um, so we look at offense for the Wildcats. They are eleventh overall in the country. They're eighth in three point percentage, and they take a lot of them. They they're one hundred and five in percent of overall shots from three. In two point percentage, they're still pretty good too. They shoot. They're thirty fourth. They're 15th in turnover percentage, so they value the ball real well, and they shoot well at the line at ninety or at 75.7%, and they have, you know, Foster Lawyer, I think, is one of the top players. The, the top. Ninety percentiles. Top among players. Yeah, yep. he's, he's number one. Uh, they're very poor at offensive rebounding, so that's a weakness, and they're 307th, and 275 in length of average offensive possession, so they tend to be very slow teams. Yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're looking for a comparison point among familiar opponents, uh, you think about most years, a team like Wisconsin, uh, not this year's Wisconsin team, because this year's Wisconsin team doesn't shoot it very well. But we've seen Wisconsin teams in the past that, that did that. Um, they play a slow pace, so they're more than happy to pass the ball around and be patient and, and look for the right shot as opposed to a shot. They shoot it very well, and in fact, it's it's broad. They have an eight-man playing rotation, six of which shoot it 38% or better from three. So a lot of guys you have to worry about. You can't really relax um, with the threes. Um, offensive rebounding is a, a huge weakness, but again, I think as with most Wisconsin teams, that's sort of almost by design because – they're not sending people the offensive glass. So their priority is floor balance and, and trying to make sure that you're not getting runouts against them. I, I don't know how successful they'll be in this game. That's something we'll come back to, but um, right. yeah, that would be the one weakness, but generally speaking, they're, they're not going to make a lot of mistakes. They're not going to gift you with a lot of turnovers. They're going to shoot well from three and they're going to be able to generate a good number of attempts from out there. They can also score inside the arc. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a tough cover offensively. Yeah. My, my concern always with teams that shoot lots of threes against it. I feel like you have to really want the ball sometimes defensively clear the boards because you get some weird rebounds True. off the back iron and some long rebounds. Right. And so you have to have your guards be aware 
and to and to attack the ball as opposed to kind of waiting for it to come because I feel like there are a lot of games we've had where we just sort of wait for the ball to come to us and someone you know tips it in front of us or there's someone who snatches it beforehand and it's infuriating when you especially when you have a really good efficient offense that you're taking on I think that's a very good point and it's very true in regard to this Michigan State team I think that I, I've been just so bothered by defensive rebounding in general but it's clear that one component of that has been that guard rebounding, which is really what you're getting at when you're talking about lawn caroms from three point attempts, uh, you need your guards to be holding it down and Michigan States just have not done a good enough job. So that yeah. would be a concern if Michigan state guards well enough, as I suspect they may be able to, to force more misses than Davidson normally has are they able to terminate possessions at that miss? It's an open question. Right. And, and I always wonder sometimes that your offensive rebounding rate is low sometimes just because you're not missing many, that shots, too. many shots. Yeah. Uh, when you look at, so when you look at them defensively, so you're thinking, well, how are we going to stop this team? Well, there's, here's where they're not as good. So they're 152nd overall in defense, which to put things in perspective is lousy. Yeah. Uh, they're there. We haven't seen a team this bad in the big 10 since we played Nebraska, which was, I think was that even this year? I feel like it was like maybe it was earlier this year. Game. We played them in January, but yeah, yeah it's been a long time. Uh, they're 191st in three uh, three point percentage against, uh, so they give them a lot of looks. They're 333rd in three point attempts as a percentage of overall attempts by opponents. So they give up, and as we've talked, as you've talked in the past, that a lot of it is luck, whether people are hitting threes, and so you want to try and limit attempts. Uh, they're 128th against two, so a little better there. They're 269 in turnover percentage, so they don't really look to try and turn you over. They're just trying to probably play straight up defense. They don't foul much, and but they are good defensive rebounding teams. So that's probably partly explains why they're not very good at three points uh, defense because they're probably crowding around the paint yep. a little bit more to make sure they clear out the defensive rebounds and hope you miss. Yeah, right? I, I'm not sure they play a pack line defense, but they do They do seem to have guys on the interior. Part of the, part of the problem is they're, um, they're not a particularly athletic group. And on top of that, I in some of the stuff I've read about them, you could see it in some of the statistics. And then some of what I saw, that was that I had seen bits and pieces of Davidson this year on a few occasions, but I, I hadn't seen anything at length until that Atlantic 10 Conference Tournament Championship game on Sunday. I happened to watch them. I wanted to see Foster Lawyer and uh, play a whole game, and I happen to tune that in, watch them lose to Richmond. Uh, I think I think they struggle at threes for a lot of reasons. There are a lot of contributing factors, but one of them clearly is they're just not a very sound team defensively. There's a lot of scrambling. Um, they, they get out of position a lot. Uh, not not very connected group defensively from from what I can tell. So they're vulnerable. I mean, as, as you noted, the big number in three point uh, in, in three point uh, defense is not so much the percentage that you're giving up, but the number of attempts. They're poor in terms of percentage, but they're awful in terms of number of attempts they surrender. Three hundred thirty third, you're firmly in the bottom quartile of the entirety of college basketball. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's going to be a big problem uh, for them potentially. Now, Michigan State's got to make shots, which they didn't do a particularly good job of the last two days of the Big Ten tournament, 
And, you know, this is something that's a truism. Um, you can look at the season statistics, and even with those two cold shooting games, Michigan State is still, I believe, uh, either 16th or 18th nationally in three-point percentage, so not very far behind Davidson. Uh, still a very good three-point shooting team, but what might happen on an individual day? Who knows? Um, the one thing you can say to Davidson's credit in, in an otherwise pretty poor defensive profile is that defensive rebounding number. So they do have some size and it's not just height. They've actually got some strength with their two big men and they've done a pretty good job. At, if they can generate a miss, they're generally going to do a good job at ending the possession there. So you, you can't expect a ton of second chances for Michigan state. Yeah. The thing you always, you never know about that, of course, is the competition they're playing are these teams that are crashing the boards that are, have the athleticism or size to challenge them for some of those offensive rebounds. It's possible you could go in and really frustrate them and to what they're not used to dealing with in the Atlantic. 10. For sure. That's, that's, what that's a salient point. point because, you know, they did, as you said at the outset, they didn't play much in the way of high major opposition. They played Alabama and they beat Alabama. Uh, but you know, I'm not sure Alabama is a good comparison point for Michigan State. And the A-10, the general sense I have is that the feeling was the A-10 was a little bit down this year overall. Uh, it's lost through attrition. It's lost some members. You know, Xavier, until relatively recently, was a member of that league. Uh, and right. they lost them to the Big East. Uh you know, it's it's not, maybe not quite what it once was. And so, yeah, you don't know what kind of athletes. I can tell you this, playing Richmond, they weren't facing a very athletic team in that in that tournament <laughs> final. They were they struck me as very much mirror images of each other in a lot of ways. So let's look at the on the Davidson lineup, obviously, for starters, the one we know about best is Foster Lawyer, six foot guard out of Clarkston. He led them this season with 16.4 points per game and had the most assists with 92 in 28 games. He got injured and he was out for a couple of games, I think like four games with plantar fasciitis. Yep. Uh, his shooting shooting numbers are, I think, what we all hoped they would have been at Michigan State. It was 46, 45, and 93. I mean, 45% from three. Uh, and as you mentioned, he's a leader in the country in free throw percentage. He averaged, uh, four, and he averaged a lot of free throws for a game. And he, as we, as just as we experienced at Michigan state struggles defensively has trouble with his lateral motion and in defending guards, his athleticism is a problem as well as his size and maybe just overall, I guess you could call it just strength. And so that's probably something that's going to, well, that's something we've seen before. And I think that hasn't changed a whole lot. The only difference is of course, is offensively, he's been far more efficient, much, much better. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot of it has to do with, again, the different levels of competition. So maybe that's the best illustration of what we were just talking about that, well, they haven't seen athleticism and size and physicality the way they will with Michigan state very often in the a 10, maybe foster lawyers season is a, is a good illustration of that fact. You know, it's possible that he's been able to succeed. Whereas in the big 10, you just too often saw him swallowed up. Now I will say they're utilizing him differently than Michigan state did at Michigan state the idea was that he would be a point guard. And I think what happened was you too often saw him 
just taken out of games due to his lack of physical tools, which frankly surprised me. I saw that kid play a ton in AAU in high school, and he had one of the greatest high school careers in Michigan history. There's no arguing that point. I thought his, his basketball IQ, his court sense would allow, and the talent around him would allow him to do more of the things that he's done this year at Davidson. It didn't work that way. And I, I think in part it was because I didn't appreciate just how much those physical limitations, how, how, how impactful they would be um, in the end that he wasn't, a, he just wasn't able to find a way around them at the big 10 level at Davidson. He did lead the team in assists, although it's just a marginal difference. They've got a lot of guys who are in the 60 to 80 range on the season in total assists. Foster is 93. They run a motion offense, so they really don't play with a pure point guard. So that's the first thing, is they're not asking him to bring the ball up against anybody. We saw him have trouble doing even that. Yes, definitely. You know, which, again, surprised me. I, I thought he would be better in that area than he was, but Davidson doesn't ask him to do it. They play him off the ball, and so a lot of what he's doing in their motion game is just running off picks and getting open and available for for shots, and he's been effective in doing that. They don't ask him to create anything as an individual, and so I think that's helped him. The defensive limitations, though, are still very real. If if those of you who watched the end of that game against – um, Richmond saw that down the stretch of a very close game that had a lot of stoppages for fouls. Um, McKillop was doing a, a regular offense defense substitution pattern to get him out of the game when Davidson was going to be defending, you know, and that was a big time. Yeah. So it, it goes to show you they're concerned about that in terms of Michigan state's backcourt. He's probably going to be matched up with A.J. Hogard and hopefully, likely, some of Tyson Walker. I don't like either of those defensive matchups for Foster Lawyer. I think A.J. physically could just overwhelm him, especially if he can get him going to the rim, which I think he will be able to do. And then I don't think he has the foot speed to stop at least a semi-healthy Tyson Walker. Um, So that could be a problem. But at the other end, when they've got the ball, we all know, obviously, by those numbers you cited, MSU's got to be cognizant of where Foster Lawyer is. Yeah, no question. And and AJ Hogard is exactly the kind of guard who was swallowing up Foster Lawyer uh, in the Big Ten before. So, I mean, it, I think you can be a little hopeful that maybe you can neutralize him a little bit on offense just with someone a guy like and Hogard. maybe defensively uh, too, because you know we've seen AJ's been a pretty reliable defender for most of the season, particularly when he's on ball. So if he's tasked with staying with Foster with his size and length, I I think he can pose a little more of a problem than maybe he sees on the average night in the A-10. Oh, no question. I mean, there are a number of turnovers. Foster just will get kind of just, I don't know, swallowed up by someone as he's trying to bring the ball over half court. Uh, Just inexplicable sort of turnovers, which (laughs) we've seen a couple of those at Michigan (laughs) State. Uh, when you go to the other the other starting guard is a uh, six five junior Michael Jones, he averages eleven point nine points per game, and 
as will be the theme with all these players, he's shooting well, 46, 43 from three and 85% from the line. Yeah. The, Foster is the one undersized guy they play. So beyond him, they've actually got pretty good size. And Jones would be an example of that. He's, you know, he, I'm watching him. Uh, he's he's kind of at least at a distance with the the, the sideline camera shot that you get. He kind of was reminiscent to me of a slightly smaller Thomas Kithier. That's what he looked like. Um, he's a little more athletic than Thomas was. I actually liked him. I thought he was good in that Richmond game. Um, but you know, good size, not a great athlete, uh, but a very good shooter, as you mentioned. And then we get we start entering the international part of their starting lineup. We have first Hyung Jung Lee, a six seven junior out of South Korea, who I believe has even played on the South Korean team, uh, the yeah. national team. Uh, second on the team in scoring at sixteen points per game, just barely behind Foster Lawyer. And guess what? He shoots well too, 48, 38 from three, and seventy eight percent from the line. Second on the team in rebounding at six a game, and and had more three point attempts and makes than Foster Lawyer on the team, just barely and. That may be partially because Foster was out for a couple of games, but a very talented guy and probably the second most dangerous player on the team from the yeah. He's you know the the thing about him is he's a shot maker, obviously, but with his size at six foot seven, uh, a little bit of a tougher cover. Again, none of these guys we're going to talk about are the kind of athletes that Michigan State is used to seeing. I mean, even if you go down to the bottom tier of the conference and you talk about a team like you know, Northwestern or Minnesota, where we don't think of those as particularly gifted athletic teams, right? They've got more horsepower than these guys do, but this team is very skilled and and Lee would be one of those guys for sure. And a six, seven, you know, he's got enough size that, you know, Max Christie or Gabe Brown are going to have their hands full. They're they're going to have to be um, locked in, you know, to be able to limit good open looks. Right. And so then let's move on to the forwards. Uh, another forward is Sam Anenga. He's six foot nine, 240 pound junior from New Zealand, averaging 8.2 points per game, 5.3 rebounds per game. And guess what? He shoots well too. 52% from the field, 44% from three and 64% from the, um, from the free throw line. The, the three, the only caveat I would use with him is that the three point attempts are somewhat limited. Whereas everybody else we're talking about, for the most part, there's enough there that you can really, really trust those percentages. Um, he's a little more limited, but a, a big body, a physical kid. He It looks to me like he likes to mix it up a little bit from what I saw over the weekend um, and, you know, decent numbers. So certainly uh, a key guy in terms of being able to compete with Michigan State, particularly when Davidson is trying to clear their defensive boards. To have another guy like that. And what will obviously be probably the most interesting, I think, cover for Michigan State is the five spot, which is Luka Brokjevic. He's a six foot 10, 250-pound senior from Austria, averaging 14.2 points per game, a team-high 7.2 rebounds per game. He was named A-10 player of the year this season, shooting 58% from the field, 41% from three, only 65 from the line. But he averaged about three attempts from outside the arc per game. So he definitely is someone who will, will take shots out there and make, I guess, on average about two of them. Uh, but he also is a post threat. He's got real good footwork. He can get to the rim. He's someone who in uh, ball screens is going to be probably a challenge for 
I guess either Marble or Bingham to try and cover. Yeah, and and they will. That's right. And with their motion game, there'll be a lot of screening. Um, a, a dangerous player to be sure. I would say uh, he he's like a lot of guys over the years that I again I go back to this Wisconsin comparison. Um, when was not this year? Tyler Wall is a pretty clever post player at this stage of his career, but he's a horrendous three point mm-hmm. shooter. But if you go back over the years and you think about some of the other big men Wisconsin has had who were equally effective in the post and could step away from the basket and shoot threes, that's what this guy can do. Um, not a heavy, heavy volume three point shooter, but enough that you got to worry about it. And, and then on the, as you said, in the pick and roll could be effective as, as the role man, uh, good hands, good finisher. And then in addition to that, in the post, he's got good size, but I, I didn't see a lot of evidence that he's, you know, this is not going to be Trevion Williams out there where he's just going to use his body, just bang <laughs> you to death. It's more, again, that Wisconsin type stuff where a guy clearly understands angles. He understands how to use his body to create space and has great footwork. So it'll be, it'll be tense. like Ethan Happ, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So we look, yeah, and we look at the reserves. There aren't too many who are going to see the floor. Probably, uh, you said they go about eight deep. And so Grant Huffman's a six foot three sophomore guard from Ohio, averaging four points a game, twenty uh, minutes. Shoots forty eight, thirty eight, and fifty five. Yeah, just you know, again, another guard that they can they can uh, bring into the game to to uh, spot the starters some minutes, but they don't lose shooting at least in terms of how efficient he is. He's not at the same volume as their starters, obviously, but uh, he's been a nice effective reserve for them in the backcourt. And next we have Desmond Watson, a six foot five freshman wing from Ohio as well. So if you need an extra reason to not like the, De- the Davidson team, they have a bunch of players from Ohio. Uh, he averages 2.9 points per game, 15, 13 minutes shoots uh, very poorly, 33, 16 and 70. Yeah. He's, he's the one outlier among their perimeter guys. Uh, just does not shoot the ball well, but does have good size is maybe a little more athletic than some of their other players. And he's a, he's a defensive option. They can turn to at times when they're trying to, as I mentioned down the stretch of that Richmond game, if it's a close game against Michigan state, you might see, you might see McKillop go to that. And he would be an option in that, in that way. Cause he's got more length, a little more athletic and, and maybe just a little bit better of, of, um, better, more likely to, uh, to not break down on a defense session. Sure. A space field or someone who just can get, get exactly. some rest. Right. So, uh, Nelson, uh, finally it's Nelson Boshi Yedum. He's a six foot eight, 220 pound senior from England. He averages 2.3 points per game, 2.3 rebounds per game in about 17 minutes, shoots 50 and 11, 65, very low volume. And, um, he's a guy who just kind of he's sort of the, the replacement five spot when, uh, for when Brockovich goes out. Right. I mean, that's pretty much his, he gives him a blow at the, you know, it comes in it with five minutes. So that he gets to the under four break. or something. Exactly. Like so he plays a little more than that. It's not, it's not, it's not quite the Mati Sissoko role, but it's, it's yeah, that, that is essentially how it's playing out. They just are buying some time and he's played, he's played fine, but they don't ask a lot of him. He doesn't have a lot in the way of the counting stats, especially when you consider that his minutes are actually relatively high. I mean, 17 minutes a game 
that's pretty substantial. And yet he's not scoring much. He's not taking a lot of shots. So I, yeah, I think you're just, you're asking him to just kind of occupy space down low, have a biggish body uh, to buy the, hold the fort and, and buy some minutes of rest. Well, let's look at the five keys for the game. We have uh, the first one is guarding the arc. I mean, it's probably the most obvious. This might be all one through five, really, but they obviously rely very heavily on the three, and um, they have got a they capable of post score with Brockovich. But you know, it's going to be real questionable whether that's going to be the thing. I think uh, the three point shot is going to be the thing that's going to be obviously everyone remembers the the Denzel Valentine team that ran into uh, that hot hot it was East Tennessee State Middle. Right, where they just came out just yep. middle to sorry, middle Tennessee state and just, I mean, you know, blew the doors off with their threes. That's the, I mean, that's a nightmare scenario, right? For Michigan state fan that you want to hundred percent. I, I conversely, I think if Davidson does not shoot well from three, I have a hard time. I'm seeing a path for a win for them. If they don't, I think it's a need for them. Uh, you do, you do point out something. I, 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 had, I think I had had in the notes that, I would expect that the way Michigan State approaches this defensively would be roughly similar to the Purdue game, meaning you don't think about doubling. I mean, the, the kid they've got at the five is a capable player, and we've, we've seen Michigan State do more doubling in the last week than I think possibly over the entire <laughs> Ever. career combined. Um is shocking to me. And it actually worked against Wisconsin. I have to give them credit. They executed it pretty well, but that's the thing. Wisconsin's a poor shooting team. So you can take that risk. This team isn't, you don't want to give them easy looks that that's playing with fire. Uh, the, the one complicating factor though, is their post player can also drift outside and shoot threes as well. So that's going to mean that guys like Marcus Bingham and Julius Marble really have to be on it they can't they can't be relaxing and letting him just kind of drift out there and get really good open opportunities from outside the arc as you said it it truly is a one through five deal at least when the starters are in so um, that's a complicating factor but I, I think the bottom line is Michigan State needs to do a very good job at limiting the open looks that Davidson gets. And if they do that, I think they've got a very good chance to get a win. But they need to do that. Yeah. Right. This this strikes me as the kind of game where you're looking um you're looking to play straight up defense. You're not looking to for shot blocks really. You're not right. going to expect any opportunities because anytime you try and crash into to block a guy for layup, he might kick it out and you're you much rather give up twos and just kind of, you know, head back down the court rather than trying, rather than risk trying to keep up twos for threes for part of the game, because that's, as you said, I think that's that's the that's the one huge advantage Davidson has, and if you can neutralize that, I think you're going to make it a really tough game for yep. them. Uh, number two key would be pick and roll offense. So, you know, we talked about the defensive struggles for Davidson uh, by the metrics. Um, they're not an athletic team. Michigan State obviously runs a lot of pick and roll. I mean. Pretty much that is the half-court offense. Yeah, And so how do you see that playing out with Hogard? Uh, and I, I guess, it, you know, at some point we'll have to talk about Walker and where we think he's going to be involved in this. But let's just talk about Hogard especially since he seems to be kind of a more classic Michigan State pick-and-roll guy. Yeah, I, I think the opportunity is there for AJ to do a lot of damage. And the reason I say that is if, if you look at the way that Davidson has played pick-and-roll 
Um, I, I noticed it in the Richmond game for sure. And from what I've gathered, it's pretty regularly what they do. Their bigs tend to hedge. And so that means that they're out there kind of exposed and oftentimes will be caught in a switch. And that's where I think you can, you can look for AJ to possibly have a lot of success going to the rim. I go back to that first Michigan game, the one at Breslin where Michigan decided to play their pick and roll coverage that way. And they had Hunter Dickinson hedging pretty aggressively. And if you remember AJ Hogard just tortured him by taking him to the rim. That's a potential outcome I see in this game. Um, if they change that coverage and they decide to sag and shack it a little more, that's where you could pay a price if you don't have or don't have a fully healthy Tyson Walker. I, getting to that question, right. my sense, and I, I don't have this 100% certainly because I don't think anybody has, I expect that he's going to play. I don't know how effective he'll be because he will have missed some practice at a minimum. And we don't know where that ankle is going to be on the continuum of health. But if they, it was something that for as well as AJ Hogard played in the Purdue game and he was outstanding. The one element he didn't give Michigan state that you would have liked to have had was that point guard who could pull up from 18 to 21 feet and hit a shot when the big man in pick and roll coverage sags, that's not AJ's game. And it makes it a little tougher at times this season, when people scream about MSU's offense getting stagnant, sometimes that's why, because AJ is just not equipped yet in his development to punish a team for doing that. Tyson Walker is now the question, even with a healthy Tyson Walker is as people have heard me rant about on this podcast, Okay, he can hit that shot. Is he going to take it? But that would only be, again, if Davidson decides to break trend and and start sagging. For the most part, they've been aggressive in that, and I think that opens up some real opportunities, particularly for Hogarth. In fact, it could play right into what A.J. does best. Yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely see the matchup because the, the dilemma that Davidson's going to have is they have a six-foot foster lawyer out there who's got to guard somebody. So assuming it's a guard, he's got to either guard Max Christie, who's got a ton of strength and ability to blow past him or shoot yep. over him. Or if you have him try to guard Christie, he's got to really let Christie go past him. He can sag back and let Christie shoot or let um, Hogarth shoot. But I feel like uh, it's it's going to be really challenging for them, and especially without the rim protection that Davidson's going to have that the Big Ten teams often offer where they can really for wall sure. you off. I think Hogarth's going to be have a lot more opportunities to get to the rim and to and to so I mean the concern obviously is weird fouls foul, you know a charge early or something right. like that in the game which makes him that's that's something that might one, hinder the Michigan State. One offense. other related note on this: they are also and you saw this if you watched the Richmond game. Uh, Davidson, as I had said earlier, is not what I would call a sound defensive team. When they get scrambling in their rotations, they are very very prone to come flying at a shooter. If Michigan state is patient enough to show the shot fake, they could have some easy paths to the rim or just to more makeable shots. Um, we saw Malik call do that against Purdue really nicely yeah. on one play. Uh, a steady diet of that might be called for in this game. I just, I think in general, Davidson is just very, very vulnerable because 
I don't think they're sound. That's where the comparisons with, you know, the typical Bo Ryan Wisconsin team falls apart because those teams might have also lacked athleticism, but they, they typically weren't jumping out of their shoes either. They, they, yeah. they made you earn your points. I'm not sure that Davidson does. Well, the third key of the game, it, it's actually shocking to see this on the list. I don't know if it's been on it this season, but it's turnovers. <laughs> uh, so we've seen, yeah. we've seen Michigan State struggle with this all season. And yet, the last two games of the Big Ten tournament, we had 11 turnovers combined in two games. We had seven and then four. And, I, you know, that was the, the boneheaded ones, the crazy charges, the moving screens, they kind of disappeared those last two games, which is what made our offense run a lot. It absolutely was critical, uh, particularly in the Purdue game, because not only did Purdue outshoot Michigan State, but they clobbered them on the boards. So imagine if MSU had had even a normal turnover game for them. You would have had a double digit loss. No question. Uh, the point here is the same one we've made repeatedly this season, which you're playing an opponent. <laughs> who generally does a really good job of avoiding turnovers. They average just under 10 a game for the season. So they're not quite as elite as some of the big 10 opponents MSU's had, but they're still top 20 nationally. So expect that they're not going to kick it around very much. I think in a game like this, if you have a big negative differential, if MSU's just throwing the ball around or, you know, as you said, the, uh, the moving screen calls, you know, the, the, that kind of stuff. And just giving Davidson more chances to score than, than MSU is generating. That's where you could see an upset. Yeah. Especially a team that heads to threes, right? Yeah. If you give them extra shots, it could be real trouble. Uh, number four would be the free throw battle, which is not one that we have on our list all that often. So uh, both teams shoot the free throws really yeah. well. Yeah. And, and Davidson is a little for a team that's not particularly athletic. They do a pretty good job. You know, you mentioned when we were talking about Foster, he's averaging in excess of four attempts per game. That's almost hard to believe. Give I, he never he never what he shoot like twenty right. a year. I felt like right, <laughs> never able to draw fouls. And and the other thing that's interesting about his profile, I don't remember the exact numbers, but in looking at the season statistics. You would expect Foster, what, his total attempts on the year, maybe 80% of them would be from three, 90%. Right. No, he shoots a lot of twos this year. I think it's a function of that motion offense that they run, that um, they're disciplined enough in it, that they're able to create shots from all over the floor, not just from three. And that, in turn, I think has helped them be reasonably good at getting to the free throw line. They're not a Mark Turgeon era Maryland outfit. They don't have guys like that, but they've done a pretty good job of getting to the line. And conversely, they don't tend to follow their opponents that much. Now, I think this is going to be a different challenge when you're facing a team that is athletically and physically superior to most of what you see all year. I think it could be harder for them. You know, just imagine the things we were talking about in terms of MSU looking to penetrate. If MSU is successful at all in that area, that alone is probably going to mean that Davidson is going to need to foul more often than they're used to. You'd hope so. Um, conversely, this has been, and it's not been talked about very much because you know the season's been so erratic, but this has actually been one of the better teams in recent years that Izzo's had 
in terms of not fouling excessively. They really have been. Yes. And, you know, we're used to a, generally a parade to the free throw line of opponents, even when Michigan State's great, because they're physical and they use that, and sometimes you get whistled. This team has done a decent job there. So I think there's a chance that it's a stalemate, but if either team has a big advantage, either in attempts or percentage or both, um, that could be significant. Yeah, you wonder if a lot of those foster lawyer, if a lot of those two point shots are like coming off sixteen foot curls, like off yeah. a, around a pick or a screen, and he and and you can definitely see how he could get fouled on those things too, right? Someone reaching around trying to yeah. recover on defense that's and they I, run into someone or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's what I think it is. I think you're exactly right, and that's what I was getting at when I was talking about the shots that their motion offense generates. They're yeah. not necessarily all threes. They could be, as you said, coming off a curl, you know, free throw line extended where it's a 15, 16 foot jumper. And yeah, sometimes a defender is just going to lunge and, and try to recover and, and hack him. Well, and the fifth key is the one where I think the, the one challenging thing as a Michigan state fan is you watch Michigan state in November and December and you're like, wow, this team's like moving their transition games. Like they're going up and down the court and then the big 10 season happens and you're like, what happened to that team? It just disappeared. And they're, they're flashes where they can kind of have a game that works from the transition. But for the most part, you just don't get a whole lot done in transition in the Big Ten. And then I feel like when you get to the tournament, it's sort of like the floor is bigger. I don't know. It just Everything just seems like it's a lot easier and there's better spacing and, and ability to move. So, I mean, that's obviously something that we need for our offense to get easy points. Well, and and it's going to be very interesting to watch. I don't – I'll freely admit I don't have enough of a grip on Bob McKillop as a coach to feel extremely confident as to how his team will handle it. But I would say this, seeing their overall lack of defensive efficiency and defensive um, um, discipline and knowing that unless you see Michigan State regularly, you really generally aren't prepared for what a Michigan State transition game looks like. Uh, it, it is different. Then almost in North Carolina is the only program that historically runs it the same way that Michigan State does. I, I tend to think there's a decent chance that we see a lot of opportunities for MSU on the break. I hope so, because it could be the quickest and easiest way to getting a comfortable working margin going, you know, if especially if they can stun them with it early. Um the fact that Davidson very clearly does not emphasize offensive rebounding suggests that there's at least in theory, a prioritization of floor balance and getting guys back and not getting beat in transition. But again, Michigan state tests you differently than anybody in the a 10 can. And that I think will be a, a tipping point in this game, how well Michigan state can get the transition game going. They don't necessarily need to put up 30, but I would like to see, you know, at least mid to high teens would make me feel pretty good about where it stands. And yeah. as you were alluding to, we see this pattern often in the NCAA tournament because it's teams that are just not used to seeing it. And all of a sudden, and, and as, even coaching staffs, I think, they're spending the majority of their time looking at, at tape from Big Ten play. Right, That's not yeah. what it's going to be like for you unless you can play the way that Big Ten team plays, and you probably don't. So, yeah, we'll see. It's definitely a game you can imagine uh, A.J. Hogard really with his transition because 
watching his progression this season, it, it's been pretty remarkable. And in fact, I feel like for all the players this season, the one who has been the most surprising for me, and I think you felt a little bit this way as well, is that AJ Hogarth was a guy you had no trust in ever being a serviceable point yep. guard, really. And you're looking for, you didn't, I mean, it wouldn't have been unreasonable to think that Aikens right now would be the, the backup point guard. I think that would begin this coming to the season. And he's starting to look to me, and I, this is maybe not fair, maybe it's not very accurate, but he, he kind of has a little cleaves to him, to yeah. me. Is I, he's a guy who's kind of physical, he's tough, he's got some leadership qualities, he can't shoot real well, which Cleves is never a great shooter, but he got a little better at the end. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this is, a, this is the kind of game where you could see him really do well, both in the half court and, he, and in transition, and maybe that's something we can really exploit. And I, it'd, be, it'd be fun to see. It, it's always fun to watch him open up a little bit, and, and I think – much like when you watch film on someone and then you go up and play them, like you 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 know game play for Ohio State, and then you realize those guys are not only they're big, but their defensive line are really fast, and they're, you know they're just like a different level of yep. athlete. You can't you, you know you can't scout for them. You can't have players as a scout team accurately portray you know Michigan State because you don't have ability to like score in four seconds. Like, right. You know, they inbounded three passes and suddenly Gabe Brown's dunking on you. You're like, how, how, how do you simulate Michigan state's break in your practice? I, I don't know that. That's why I say, I think what it really takes generally is having seen them. So if you're a big 10 coach and you've got players coming back year to year, okay, they've seen it before. They know it feels like, yeah. I, I think it's very difficult, especially for, a mid-major that doesn't have a deep team. So they don't even have, you know, what are you going to do to simulate that? Uh, getting back to Hogard, you're hundred percent correct. I will freely admit that I never saw him getting even to the level he's at now, forget what he might be able to accomplish before he's done. And I think the Cleves comparison is correct in one area for sure. And I think I've said this a few times this season, AJ Hogard is, the best throw ahead, meaning by the pass, not dribble, transition point guard that Michigan State has had in a long time. And I think you could probably go back to Mateen Cleaves. They've had other great transition point guards. Kalen Lucas, Keith Appling, just with athleticism off the dribble. Cassius Winston, with athlete, without that level of athleticism, but also more of an with the dribble guy than a throw ahead guy. More often than not, um, that's not Hogard. Hogard makes use of the pass better than anybody in recent memory, for sure. And you're absolutely right. This could be a game where that really shows up. I, I think this game does track as one where A.J. Hogard could potentially have a really good night because that element might be available. And then in the half court, as we talked about, I wonder how effectively they're going to be able to keep him away from the rim. I think the opportunities are going to be there for him. He just needs to take advantage of them. Yeah. The more I talk about this game and think about it, I, I'm so initially when I'm walking back from the, I would miss a selection game show because I was walking back from the, the arena because I had to watch, because we had to watch a trophy celebration right. for Iowa <laughs> for my wife. Uh, we're there and we're, we're listening as, and I, I swear, I thought initially Michigan State was playing Brad Davison. It's <laughs> like, what are they talking about? <laughs> so I'm really glad it's Davidson. Um, but the more I thought about this game, the, I, I'm always nervous about the first round games because you know you've been bitten once. To, the, I mean, the beauty of being a Michigan State fan basketball is you've 
play 24, 25 first round games. It's crazy in a row. And so you've experienced everything. You've experienced the blowouts, the close games, the, you know, the disappointing you know defeats like George Mason or, um, you know, middle Tennessee state. Uh, so again, you've seen it all. And so you're always nervous, but I, I really do like our chances in this game. And, um, I think sometimes I feel kind of bad for sometimes for these mid-major teams that probably had good seasons, and you're you're always sort of root for these teams in the non-major conferences, the the power fives. I'm not obviously this time, but it, I think this time they kind of got a bad draw. I think they're probably they're probably other seven seeds that they would have had a better chance. I think they probably had a better chance against Ohio State, frankly. Uh, quite quite State. possibly, quite possibly, because Ohio State so bad defense, defensively. Yeah that I would think Davidson has yeah. a great chance, would have a great chance to run their offense efficiently and, and maybe just outscore them. You know, that would, that would be an interesting game because it would be all offense both ways. But I, I think you're right. And, and the shame of it is like, I would have absolutely been polling for Foster to make a run with Davidson. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of Michigan state fans feel that way. I would hope the, maj- the vast majority. Um, and that's obviously not in the cards. Um, and, and again, McKillop is a guy who does things the right way and he's built something there and, and he stayed there when I'm sure in the aftermath of the Steph Curry season, he probably had some opportunities that, and, and I would assume he had some opportunities even in other years where he could have opted to move up the food chain and didn't, you know, stayed there. So they're an easy program to, to pull for in these situations, but just not Michigan state fans on Friday night. Um, not yeah, but I'm with you generally. I think I think this I'm not going to say it's it's absolutely a win, no way, because anytime you got an opponent that could shoot threes the way they do, that's that can be a recipe for problems. And then, you know, has this Michigan State team done enough to earn anybody's trust that they will deliver with the kind of performance you need on a night-to-night basis? <laughs> no, I don't think you can say that. But I I like in general, I like the matchup. Um, and I think it's better than maybe some other tens out there. I'll tell you this. I sure as hell wouldn't have wanted a replay of Loyola Chicago. Yeah. Thank goodness we couldn't, right? That's, I think, one of the rules. That in might be. If you play in the non-conference. Yeah. You yeah. You can't play yeah. in the first round. Um, yeah. I feel like for this game, the the keys were obviously we got to hit some shots, which we were not shooting well from three the last two games. Uh, it's a miracle we beat Wisconsin hitting what one out of nine, but uh, just pounded the paint and actually did real well there. Uh, but I feel like a defensively, we've really got to make sure that we are, we, that everyone's connected and that we're communicating well, because I think that's where we've gotten into trouble. And I feel like the last couple games, I mean, you're always hesitant to say this, but I feel like Marcus Bingham is kind of starting to look a little bit like the Marcus Bingham from November, a little bit in December, a little bit, you know, he's a little bit more aware. He's, he's smarter off the ball screens. He's not always going for the block. Uh, and, and, you know, I think you just have to play everyone straight up and just communicate. So, you, because I think that what you worry about is that, you know, you're guarding the three so strong, you've missed the backdoor cuts, yeah. right? I mean, that's the, that's the, the real risk here. Cause I'm sure they'll hit you with that enough of those to yep. make you, Start guarding that too much, and then they hit you for threes, right? That's what you've got to be careful yeah. of. But you're right about Bingham. Bingham is a key because when he's when he's connected, he just even beyond the shot blocking, just with his length, he just he takes away so much of the lane. It's a big, big deal. And I think he certainly has the tools that again, these guys don't see seven four wingspan very often. 
you know? So <laughs> could he hold their center down a little bit, just playing him straight up in the post? Yeah, maybe. I, I think he's got a chance to do that. And then at the other end, with as bad as they are in pick and roll, I think there are going to be opportunities, as we saw over that Big Ten tournament, to use Marcus as a lob option, you know? That yeah, be- and, and probably Gabe too, yeah. right? I mean, you can see that yeah. as well. Yeah, off the wing. Yeah, I, th- I think that'll be that'll be real fascinating. I think, and and I think you know when Marble goes into that's gonna be a kind of a classic post guy, and I think he probably can get some work done yep. too. And you know maybe he can do just enough to hold his own out there. And I, I mean I think it's I think that's really where the game's gonna come down to whether they can just whether they can stay in their men and not fall asleep for a second yeah. or two because I think that might be all it takes for the, the two open. second vacations have got to go away. Absolutely, that's probably the single biggest thing in this game is stay solid on the arc and just don't let them get easy open looks minimize those. You got a great chance to win. All right. Well, anything else you want to add before we go into the, uh, I guess the game, which is in a couple of days here. And then I guess we'll talk probably early Saturday morning we, or late Friday I, night. I guess it depends how you look at it. I think it. we covered it. Yeah. Um, I feel reasonably good about it. I was comfortable with MSU's draw, but you know, Got to go win now. That's never got to play the game. Absolutely. All right. Well, until the next time, this has been the final four is not on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs>